first things first, we, we need to have a solid understanding of why we actually need to read our Bibles. So we want to start off with what the goal of our Bible reading should be. What's the actual purpose of reading our Bibles? Because if just reading is the end unto itself without further fruit, other priorities and interests will easily crowd that out, especially if you're not a big reader. And we want to make sure that we're disciples, right? That's our goal. That's our desire. Followers of Jesus. And there is a narrow path on which to follow him. Listen to these verses from Matthew 7. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. A few verses later, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's so important that we know God and are known by him. And what does that passage have to do with Bible reading? Well, because the goal of Bible reading is relationship with Jesus. If there's one thing that you take out of this message here today, that's it. The goal of your Bible reading is not merely to complete your Bible reading plan. Your reading plan is merely a tool through which to grow in relationship with Jesus. Your Bible reading plan doesn't give you life. Jesus gives you life and you encounter him in the word. See, the path is narrow and on either side, there's these two massive ditches that we can personally slide into when we approach our Bible reading. And on one side, we've got legalism. And then on the other side, we've got cheap, easy grace. So the first thing that I want to do is I want us to look at these two ditches so we can know what we're trying to avoid. And then we're going to move. We're going to look at the narrow path. And then we're going to end off with just some practical considerations as to your personal times with the Lord. So first, I tend toward legalism. So that's where we'll start. When... A church highly promotes and encourages everyone to get more into the word. If we don't approach it rightly, we can risk becoming legalistic Pharisees rather than disciples. And that's the last thing that we want. We will not be any farther ahead if we become a bunch of legalists here at Southland. See, in the Gospels, the Pharisees, they knew the law inside and out, but they still rejected Jesus. It's possible to read and read and read. And if you're only ever reading it like a science experiment, instead of like a relational discourse, you'll miss the heart behind the words. Because the Pharisees, they were very well versed in the scriptures, yet they entirely missed the savior that they were studying toward and waiting for. And I relate to that because I spent years of my Christian life reading this for what I was supposed to do and not do and largely missed the person behind the words. And that's the very essence of a legalist, to know the do's and especially the don'ts, but to miss relationship with Christ, to know a lot up here, but to miss knowing the loving Savior in here. Now, I mean, the ironic thing about taking a legalistic approach to the scriptures is that it actually lands you up with a degree of disillusionment Because you can't actually live a victorious Christian life full of the fruit of the Holy Spirit without the Spirit based solely on rules. Rules, they they can last you for a little while in managing behavior, 
But then eventually you buckle when you get to a time of great stress or strain. Rules are never intended to save us. Jesus is. In John 5, 39 to 40, Jesus describes how their approach to the scriptures, the Pharisees, was just dead wrong. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it's they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. See, we as people, we need to receive Jesus' life infused in us through relationship with him in the word in order to conquer strongholds for a lifetime, in order to withstand temptation, in order to have transformed character and relationships, and to have a fruitful life for God. And the Pharisees, they didn't get that. They thought that their righteousness was found in obeying the rules, but they missed the heart behind the law. So that's over on one side, this, this legalism ditch. And then over on the other side, we have this ditch of cheap, easy grace. And in this ditch, you'll find folks who just seem to lack motivation to spend time with God. There's no drive or desire there. There's, the, the stuff of life just always seems to get in the way. You know, so there's, there's stuff with, with kids and with schedules and sports and arts and building a new house and renovations and you name it. And this person likes to claim all the promises of the Bible without actually regularly reading it or prioritizing a relationship with God. The overall feeling, generally, is that you're doing pretty good. You're doing all right. It's an overall feeling. They may even make such brazen statements as, I don't need to read the Bible to be a Christian. Let me tell you, this is a concept entirely foreign to the Bible which kind of makes sense that you could come up with it if you're not reading it. But anyways, 2 John 9, which is a verse in the Bible, uh, 2 John 9 says, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Is that jarring a little bit? <laughs> Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So what he's saying is we can go through our busy Western lives and and, and it is Western, like this is, this is common for us, right? When I talk to someone, I say, oh, how are you doing? And they say, oh, I, I'm very busy. I say, well, welcome to North America, right? Like that's all of us. Generally, if I ask someone if they're busy or if, like seldom do people say to me ever that they're bored. It's always busy. It's always this frenetic pace of life that we have, right? And what he's saying in this passage is that if we simply abide by the culture by what our society says, which is be crazy all the time and just do, 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 then we may very well miss our very life. The passage says, if we do not abide in the teaching of Christ, if we do not abide in the teaching of Christ, we do not have God. That's pretty serious business. And the flip, of, the flip side of it is that whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. You spend your time in this book. You spend your time meeting with the Lord in the Bible. You got a whole lot of God. That's good news. But there's simply no substitute for the Word of God. Christian worship songs aren't going to do it. They may stir your emotions, but they're not going to change you. And I'm all for emotions. I'm emotional. Ask my wife. Blubbering mess. It's common, right? I'm an arts guy. I sing. I'm supposed to cry a lot, so I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's part of the job description. So I'm all for that. But it doesn't change you, right? 
It's not possible to really know and love God without being in the word. Because this is, this is the primary place that he reveals himself to us. It's the primary place that he speaks to us, where he discloses his will for our lives, behaviors, our attitudes, and our actions. He's described himself as the bread of life and told us that his words bring life. And this is another thing that just from personal experience, I I, I get this. This makes sense to me because I, I went for years and years and years living my life trying to change and trying to be different and, and beat temptations and sins and all kinds of junk in my life. And I, I was in abysmal failure time and time and time again. And I never actually started meeting with him in here. And when I did, when I really started to engage with him, all of a sudden things started to change in my life. And it's amazing. It's a, it's a mystery. It's a mystery, but it's a divine mystery that he has made known to us. We can maybe respect God from afar without engaging in the word, but we cannot truly know him and love him. And Jesus said that loving God is our highest calling, right? I mean, Matthew twenty two thirty seven, very common passage. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your strength. Oh my, I'm messing up this passage terribly. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The easiest passage in the Bible, and I can't make it. All right. So we're saying you, you can't know or love God, which we're commanded to do, without engaging with him in the word on a regular basis. And I mean, we certainly can't follow him. We, we just won't know where he's going, right? Th- think of it this way. Here's an illustration for you. It's the difference between your relationship with your spouse, or if you're not married, with your, your closest human relationship. That relationship compared to your relationship with the prime minister, all right? In your relationship with your spouse, we'll assume it's healthy, You've got a lot of interaction, right? You can discuss difficult things. You can share your heart. You can hear their heart in return. You genuinely seek to please them and honor them with your decisions. You seek to cherish that relationship above all others and do everything in your power not to hurt or damage that relationship. You make special time for that person. Now, compare that to your relationship with the prime minister. You don't know him personally. You're under his rule, and given the chance, you you think you'd probably vote for him again. You think that most of his laws are good, although you do question a few of them, whether you say so or not. Every now and then when you see him, every now and then you'll see him on TV, but you don't study him to know how to please him. Really, I mean, you, you live your own life, and he only impinges on your life when it's somehow forced by his delegates. And your only contact with him is through these delegates. So it's just not possible for you to have a personal relationship with him, right? You're glad he's the guy in charge, but he sure better not ask anything more of you or you will be certain to let him know how many taxes you are already paying. Thank you very much. He ought to just be happy with your support. So the question is, is your relationship with the Lord more like your relationship with your spouse, your closest human relationship, or is it more like your relationship with the prime minister? Because if it's more like your relationship with the prime minister, then it's quite possible you may be someone that's living over in this cheap, easy grace. And now is the time to wake up 
Don't waste another day in your complacency and in this deluded belief that you can survive without God's word in you. So as we approach the word, we've got these digits on either side. We've got legalism on the one side, easy grace over on the other side. So how do we walk down the middle? How do we walk that narrow path? When we pick up our Bibles and as we approach the word, how do we do it in such a way as to grow in relationship with Jesus? Well, who do you think might model that well in scripture? Who might model following Jesus well? This is the non-rhetorical question, the part where you answer. There's 12 of them, it's a hint. The disciples, there you go. Yeah, the disciples, I mean, the disciples walked with Jesus 2,000 years ago in the flesh, and do you think it might just be possible that they have something to offer us? I think so. So now, as we go through this, I'm gonna give you five points now, and these will be very important in about five to 10 minutes. Okay, so jot down some notes as we go through because it'll all make a whole lot of sense in a few minutes. So the first thing that the disciples did, the disciples received Jesus' teaching. All right, as you look through the Gospels, you find the disciples hanging on Jesus' every word. They sat at Jesus' feet and drank in his words. They were fascinated and engaged any time he would open his mouth, whether he was teaching about anger or lust or divorce or how to pray or treat the poor, they listened intently. Listen to Peter in John 6. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Of course, to hear him, they had to spend time with him. They had to carve out other ventures so that they could occupy their time with him. They set aside other pursuits in order to spend time with Jesus. So they received his teaching. They also received Jesus' correction. Think of Jesus' words to Peter when Peter didn't want to let Jesus wash his feet. Jesus told him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. That's a corrective word right there, right? Jesus is saying, I make the rules, Peter, not you. Or how about Peter again? <laughs> Poor Peter. When, uh, when he basically rebukes Jesus, which seems like a terrible idea, but he basically rebukes Jesus for saying that he will suffer and die. Well, Peter gets a very stern rebuke himself because he's focusing on the temporal rather than the eternal. Remember these words. Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. There's also the occasion when James and John's mother asked Jesus if her boys can have the priority seating in Jesus' kingdom. And when the disciples hear about it, this is how it played out. This is in Matthew 20. When the 10 heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called to them. This is how he handled it. Said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you would be your servant. Again, Jesus, he brings correction to his followers. And here, he's not, and he's not just correcting behavior. You notice that. It's not just correcting behavior. He's striking right down to motives and heart attitudes in the way that he corrects his disciples. Thirdly, the disciples observed Jesus. They just watched how Jesus acted in different situations. 
They didn't just hear cold, hard text coming from his mouth. They observed his every interaction. They witnessed his power and authority over nature when he calmed the wind and the waves. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? They saw how he handled the poor, how he addressed women, what he said about the dangers of wealth, his sentiments toward the Pharisees and other religious leaders at the time. After the Samaritan woman encountered Jesus, he spent a couple days with the residents of her hometown, and they remarked to her after that time, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Seeing Jesus in action deeply impacted people. So they received Jesus' teaching, they received Jesus' correction, they observed Jesus, and then they also obeyed Jesus. That's the fourth thing. The disciples obeyed Jesus. And I mean, this happened right from go. Right at the beginning when when they first encountered him, he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Boom, right there, obedience. And And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left their boat and their father and followed him. This act of obedience, it cost these disciples something very dear to them. They had to give something up in order to follow Jesus, to hear his words and to spend time with him. And I'm telling you, they didn't regret it. There's another uh, obvious demonstration of obedience in the sending out of the 72 in Luke 10. Jesus sends them out ahead of him to minister and uh, tells them what to do. And they return, having done exactly as he said, as he commanded, and as he empowered them to do. And they were thrilled to report, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. In this example, they obeyed Jesus in ministry. They didn't just do what they felt like. They listened to him. They did what he said. And there was fruit. Lastly, the fifth one, the disciples interacted with Jesus. They asked him stuff. They asked him to bring clarity to things they didn't understand. As an example, they asked him, why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he answered, Elijah does come and he'll restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him. What was he doing? He was bringing understanding. He was clarifying something they didn't get, incidentally, from the scriptures, right? The disciples asked him for healing and for deliverance. Luke 4, he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. He stood over her, rebuked the fever, it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. The last example of that is they asked him what happened when they failed in ministry. After being unable to cast a demon out of a boy, they asked Jesus, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith. And I really like that example because it has to do with failure. And when they failed in ministry, they didn't just, first thing that we often do is just quit, give up, and say it doesn't work. They didn't do that, nor did they just try again and again and again and again, doing the same thing, beating a dead horse over and over and over, right? They failed. They asked him why they failed. He told them 
I love that. So in staying away from these ditches of legalism and easy grace, the disciples, rather, related to Jesus personally. They had a relationship with him through receiving Jesus' teaching, receiving his correction, observing him in action, obeying his commands, and interacting with him. And at this point, you may think that I have entirely forgotten that this is a message about Bible reading, but aha! I have most certainly not forgotten, and I'm going to tie it all together right now, all right? So look at how the disciples built relationship with Jesus. Look at this. Okay, this is what we've just been talking about. They received his teaching, his correction. They observed Jesus. They obeyed him. They interacted with him. And now look at what we are encouraging you to do in order to build relationship with Jesus in the word. It's the same thing. This is the scoop thing that Pastor Ray introduced last weekend. It's scripture, confession, observation, obedience, and prayer. There's a direct correlation that this is what we're talking about in reading your Bibles. You're building a relationship with Jesus by doing the very same things the disciples did. As you read his divine word, you're calling its depths for the very person the disciples ask questions to. You are looking to receive his teaching throughout the entire testimony of scripture, eager to learn from him, knowing that he is the savior of the world. You're open to and hungry for his correction because you know that he knows what rough edges need to be sanded down and what barbs need to be removed from your harsh interior. You watch the character of God being unfolded before you as you read the Bible and you gain more and more revelation of the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the one who was and is and is to come. And then you bow before him in reverence over your Bible and submit to his commands, his laws and his directives, and in humble obedience, you walk them out throughout the day. You acknowledge in an attitude of humility and submission that he knows best, and if you follow him and obey his statutes, you'll be richer for it. And through each step, you interact with him through prayers uttered under your breath, thanking him that he is speaking to you, that he knows you, that he loves you, and that he wants to lead you into the fullness of life. And then you bring to him the burdens of your heart, and you give them over to him, receiving in their stead his burden, which is light, and you begin to find yourself in him like the scriptures say. This is meeting with Jesus in the word. This is growing a relationship with Jesus through reading the the Bible. That's what we're talking about. See, the disciples, they related to Jesus personally. They literally followed Jesus. They saw what he did, and they did it. And in following Jesus, I mean, the disciples, they were consistently being personally challenged on their motives behind their actions. When they got self-righteous, Jesus cleanly rebuked them. But he also modeled for them humility, how to pray, how to care for those in need. The disciples were just regular people. They were us. Many of the disciples were uneducated fishermen, but they followed Jesus. All of their training occurred in relationship with the master. And that is what this book is for. Want to become more like Jesus? Spend some time with him. Because when we build a relationship with Jesus, we begin to experience transformation. We can't help it. He just begins to change us. So will you need discipline 
to read the word of God? Yes. But discipline on its own right is not the destination. Discipline is a tool to meet with Jesus in the word. Will you need a Bible reading plan to read the word of God? Yes. I mean, at least it's a structured way to help maintain some personal accountability. But checking off your boxes on the Bible reading plan is not the destination. Hear me, fellow legalists. (laughs) All right. It is a tool to build relationship with Jesus. So now that we've securely nailed that to the floor, now that we know what the purpose of our Bible reading is, what having devotions are, let's just tackle seven problems before we send you out this week to dig into the word. Problem number one, I'm too busy. You're right. If you're too busy to spend time with God, you are too busy. So cut something out. I mean, really, this is, this is a life and death decision here. Like, don't, don't forget 2 John 9. Everyone who goes ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. This is a big deal. And then the last half, whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. I am telling you, whatever it is that you need to trade out of your life, whatever you are trading something in that is far, far better. It will be worth it. You will not regret it. What may be helpful for you is over the course of the next week, if you just don't know where your time goes, and I get that, like we're all busy. It's, it's a crazy society. So if you kind of, if you just don't know where your time is going and you're bothered actually that you're not spending time with God, then maybe this week what you want to do is as you go through your days, have your day planner with you or a really big sticky note and uh, jot down every half hour what it is you're doing right then. And in that, you can actually find out where your time is going. Right? Sometimes it's easy to just go through life on autopilot. You don't even know. Right? So it'll make for an annoying week, <laughs> but it'll be really good because then you'll actually see where your time is going and then you can budget it in the way that you want to and you'll know what it is you want to actually cut out. All right, problem number two. I find the Bible hard to understand. Okay, first thing here is you've got to make sure that you have a Bible that's at a reading level appropriate for you. All right, so the, the New Living Translation, the NLT, that's a, that's a pretty easy read. That's, a, that's pretty easy to get into. The ESV is a, a more dense read. The King James Version is Old English. It's very hard to understand. All right, it's not more godly to read one version of the Bible over another. So get the version that works for you. It is, it is far, far better. Remember, the purpose is to meet with God in relationship. That's the point. So if that's the point, it is far, far better for you to actually get into the word in an easy to understand translation and actually read it and meet with him than to have some highfalutin translation that's word for word, word word, bang, bang, accurate and have it sit on your shelf. Just get something that works. Read it. It's relationship. Also, we've arranged the Bible reading plan that we gave you last weekend. If you didn't get one of these last weekend, they're at the info center and you want to grab one when you leave today, all right? We've arranged this thing in such a way that it goes from what we feel is sort of the easiest and the lightest amount of reading over on the left-hand side here over to the more challenging passages and simply more uh, chapters per day over on this side, okay? So 
If you're newer to reading the Bible, if you're just not well rehearsed in it, if you haven't done it a lot, then this may be exactly where you want to start. All right? And, and another thing about the Bible reading plan, uh, I, I had like this, this is a tool to help you. All right? This is a piece of paper, and you rule the paper. The paper doesn't rule you. Okay, so what I'm saying is, I had a few questions this week about, what about the boxes, Ray? What are the boxes for? The boxes per day or the boxes per week? Like, what are the boxes for? I'm like, it's a piece of paper. They're boxes. <laughs> They're to help you read the Bible. I don't care. Assign your own meaning to it. Ay, ay, ay. I'll tell you, it, if, you read, if you read everything on this page, one per day, you'll be done the Bible in a year. All right? But... That's, but no one's forcing you to, okay? So if you get to the prophetic passages over here where it's reading more like six chapters per day, if you get over there and you know that six chapters per day is going to be substantial for you and you, you may not be able to pull that off with where you're at in reading, then make it over a week. It's just a box. So check it once a week, <laughs> okay? <laughs> And it's not a dumb question. I would totally ask it. So, <laughs> all right. I want to tell you another little secret. If you've not read your Bible a lot, God's okay if you skip some genealogies in tabernacle descriptions. Okay? I'm officially letting you off the hook. It's okay. If you're getting started, again, the purpose is relationship with Jesus. So start where you understand. All of a sudden, you hit a bunch of tabernacle descriptions, and I'll tell you what happens, because it's happened to me a thousand times. You're reading, 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 reading. Here you go. Oh, I'm reading the Bible. I'm reading the Bible. I'm going really good. This is awesome. Getting lots out of it. And then tabernacle descriptions. Right? And you, you're laughing because you know. <laughs> and you end up setting it down and someone asks you, so where are you in the Bible right now? You're like, Leviticus. <laughs> How long have you been in Leviticus? Six months. <laughs> so here's the thing. You want to you wanna start out reading this someplace you're going to understand. And, and th this is the amazing thing. Obviously, I want to balance that by saying we want everyone at Southland to read the Bible cover to cover. It's absolutely beneficial, and we want that. It's good for you. But you are going to be reading this book for the rest of your natural life. So you got some time, okay? It's better, again, for you to get into the Word. If you have to skip some genealogies, it's better for you to do that and stay engaged in meeting with him because I'll tell you what's going to happen. As you get into that habit and you read the word regularly, day in and day out, month and year in and year out, a few years later, you're going to go through and you're going to start reading some of those passages that before totally stumped you, and the Lord is going to bring illumination to them, and you're going to understand them and their context in the full word of God like you never did before. And it's a blessing. All right? So don't get bogged down in difficult passages. You will understand them in time. Okay? Just remember, the Bible was written for uneducated peasants. You can do this. <laughs> and on the audio side, if, if listening to the word is a benefit to you, if that's something that's helpful for you, 
uh, if, you have, if you're really challenged in reading, then that's totally good. Grab Bible audio. Uh, faithcomesbyhearing.com is a great place for uh, free downloads, uh, MP3 downloads. So you can go there to access that. And if you forget where that website is, we have a link now off our website uh, from the devotionals tab in there. So you can always access it from the Southland website too. Problem number three. I don't feel dramatic things every day when I read. That's okay. That's okay. Remember, it's building relationship. Every moment of your marriage is not fireworks and shazam, right? If it is, come talk to me because you've got something going on. <laughs> All right. But that's, that's not how it is, right? There's an accumulation of relationship over time. And it's the same with Bible reading. It's like, it's like eating, right? Every single meal that you have isn't the best meal you've ever had, right? But do you stop eating? No. Why? Because if you did, you die. It's the same principle with the word. Every day that you're in it, it's not going to be shazam and fireworks and you're weeping. And it, it, every day is not going to be like that. But you don't stop eating it or you'll die. All right? It's the same principle. Problem number four, I have a hard time getting up in the morning. All right, two very simple options here. One, go to bed earlier. <laughs> and I, I feel like I can say that with a, an air of authority because I was totally that guy. I was like, oh, my devotions are just awful and I always fall asleep in the morning and it's just a terrible time and I feel so guilty. And, and, and finally, I, I don't remember if someone said it to me or finally I just put two and two together. But I just started going to bed an hour earlier and waking up an hour earlier. And all of a sudden, I had all this time to meet with God. And it was amazing. And he started to meet with me and change me. And I'm telling you, it is worth changing your sleep schedule. OK? So you may just need to go to bed an hour earlier. Or you may just need to find a different time that works. And that's A-OK. All right? Problem number five, I don't like journaling. Respectfully, I would like to say, get over it. See, there's a smiley face, <laughs> okay? Let me tell you, the almighty God of the universe wants to speak to you when you are in his word. He wants to say something to you, and do you think it might just be worthwhile to let him know you care, and you'll want to maybe write it down? You may want to reference that a little later on. I'll give you an example. Um, back in 2009, it was the summer of 2009, and I was in my devotions, I was reading in Exodus, and there was this one verse that just kind of popped out at me, and it seemed very random at the time, but I just jotted it down in my journal, and, uh, and it said uh, something to the effect of, be kind to foreigners, because you were once a foreigner in Egypt. And it gripped me, and it realized that in the entirety of Scripture, that then applied to me as well, and that I, was, that I could be counted in that mass that was supposed to be kind to foreigners, because my heritage, spiritually, goes back to Egypt. And... So it just kind of, huh, it was one of those days where it just, it meant something to me that day, so I jotted it down, and then that was about it. And then a year later, we were sitting around the exec table having a meeting, and, uh, and Pastor Ray started talking about German translation, saying, you know, I really, I just feel like maybe it's time, I don't know, what do you guys think, to start having German translation in the services, and so we talked about it. We were all in consensus. Yes, absolutely. We should totally do that. 
And then Chris Dirksen, who chairs those meetings, said, it's all fine and good that we're sitting around here and we all think this is a great idea, but unless someone sitting here takes it, it's not going to go anywhere. And I immediately put up my hand and I said, pick me, choose me, because God had spoken to me and he was stirring that again in that meeting, reminding me of what he had said back to me a year prior about being kind to foreigners because we historically were once foreigners in Egypt. And out of that now, not only do we have German translation, but we translate uh, low German and high German and sometimes in Russian uh, and then into Korean and Spanish. We translate weekly into those languages, not to mention we have a whole immigration ministry that has been born out of what initially was just, maybe we should start German translation. And it was just simply the Lord working. And the moment that he stirred that again in me in that meeting, I went back to my journal the next day and I found it. And it was huge confirmation to me that we were on the right track, that it was something that the Lord desired. If you're just getting started in your Bible reading, then this is the perfect time to start journaling. Because let me tell you, you're going to be able to start journaling now. And in five years, you're going to be able to look back and see everything that God has done in you, for you, and through you. And you will be amazed and you will worship him. Because sometimes we get forgetful. We don't look back very often. Journaling helps us with that. So, Maybe you don't like writing a lot. Maybe typing's better for you. Use your laptop. That's what I do. I, I, the writing, no. Typing, yes. So that works for me. And I have a really awesome program that I use that I wanted to let you know about. It's called Microsoft Word. <laughs> you do not need something fancy. But if you want something fancy, <laughs> there's also a program called OneNote, which is part of all new versions on Microsoft Office. Some of our staff use it. It's like a binder, but on your computer. So you can do searches. You've got tabs. Uh, it can also be accessed online and from most devices. Another, uh, another option along those lines is Evernote. That is free. OneNote you have to pay for, but Evernote is free, and it's available on any device and syncs between them. And so if you understood what that meant, which I didn't, <laughs> then uh, that may be for you. <laughs> it was funny. I, I actually, I've never heard of Evernote. I, I didn't know what it was at all until I saw it in my message PowerPoint, which Marty Gunter, our IT guy, had put together. And he was going through it with me yesterday. And I said, what's with the elephant? <laughs> and he said, oh, I, uh, that's, that's Evernote. I thought maybe you should put that in your message. <laughs> I said, maybe you can tell me what it is. <laughs> so anyways, that's for you. If uh, you need something that is free, testify Mennonites. <laughs> And is available on any device and sinks between them. All right, problem number six. I don't know where to have my devotions. All right, you, you, need, you need a place where you can just meet with the Lord that works for you. And it'll vary from person to person. Some people, there's a quiet room in the basement where you're free from distractions. Uh, some people, it's the kitchen table. Uh, some people come here to the prayer room. Uh, personally, I flip-flop between the prayer room and my office uh, just because seasonally I, I need a bit of variety. Uh, personally, for me, doing my devotions at home, uh, that didn't work so hot because I was always, I have little kids, I was always scared to wake them up. So I'd be reading my Bible and I'd be turning my pages like this. <laughs> and then you continue reading. Or then they wake up and then you're mad at your children <laughs> for disturbing your time with God. 
And isn't there just something weird and wrong about that? I don't know. So anyways, it just didn't work for me, or I'd just be distracted or tired or whatever. The, here's the key. You need a place where you can exhale and set aside any distractions, a place where you can be relaxed and yet alert. And the alert is an important part. As I found, the love seat in our living room is a disaster for me. <laughs> I just fall asleep every single time. So no more devotions on the love seat. Doesn't work. All right, problem seven, I lack discipline. Well, you're in good company. Most of us would describe ourselves the same. And aren't we just here to help you? As we told you last weekend, this is now the centerpiece of ourselves. This is what we're doing. So now you go to sell, you go to your Encounter God group, and within there, you're following through on a Bible reading plan, and out of that, you're sharing what the Lord has been speaking to you in the word, ways he's been impacting you, areas that you've needed to confess, and then out of that, you confess with each other, you pray together, and this is now what sell looks like at Selfland. This is what we're doing. So if you struggle, if you've been struggling to get into the word on a regular basis, then join a group. Just talk to me and I'll get you connected. Because I'm telling you, we need each other. God actually made us deficient. Each one of us. We're supposed to need each other. All right? So, ConnectCell, we just started this past week. We're meeting again this week, 7 o'clock. We've got several men's cells that meet before work in the mornings. The women's daytime Connect cells, uh, they start meeting this week, Wednesday, 9.30 to 11.15. And just a clarification from last week regarding the 40-year-old cutoff thing, um, it's, we base it more on life stage and, and where your kids are at in life rather than just a clean old 40-year-old cutoff. So it's not like you're going to join Dana's and then have your birthday and we're going to huff you out of hers and send you over to Grace Hebert's. It's actually, if you're 42 and you've got like little kids, then you're going to be with Dana because that's going to be kind of your peer group, right? That's what we're shooting for. So just like last weekend, I, I'm going to stay up here for a little while once Kamika's done the last song. And if you want to get plugged into a cell, if you want to get into an Encounter God group to help you with some encouragement and accountability in your Bible reading so you can encounter God more in your life, then come talk to me. So let's wrap it up. The Word of God is life. And our goal in reading our Bibles is to meet with Jesus. John 17.3 says, And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And Hosea 6.3, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He'll come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. We've got to avoid these ditches of legalism and easy grace. We've got to take the path of the disciples, which is relationship with Christ. Our desire is to say along with the citizens of Samaria, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. So as we finish, I, I just want to pray us out of this service with a prayer from Psalm 119, 25 to 40. It echoes the heart of what we've been discussing. And then Kamika's going to lead us in a closing song containing many of these same thoughts. 
So if your heart's been stirred with a hunger for God, for the word during the service, or if you're just carrying some pretty heavy stuff right now, maybe you want to go over to after service prayer. It's in the prayer room. There's folks there that would love to pray together with you. Otherwise, let's stand together. And as we pray, why don't you just put your hands out in front of you, palms up. Just a gesture to receive the physical demonstration of submission to him. Acknowledging our desire to grow in our relationship with him through the word. So let's pray. Oh God, our souls cling to the dust. Give us life according to your word. When we told of our ways, you answered us. Teach us your statutes. Make us understand the way of your precepts, and we will meditate on your wondrous works. Our souls melt away for sorrow. Strengthen us according to your word. Put false ways far from us and graciously teach us your law. We have chosen the way of faithfulness. We have set your rules before us. We cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let us not be put to shame. We will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge our hearts. Teach us, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and we will keep it to the end. Give us understanding that we may keep your law and observe, and observe it with our whole hearts. Lead us in the path of your commandments, for we delight in it. Incline our hearts to your testimonies, and not to selfish gain. Turn our eyes from looking at worthless things, and give us life in your ways. Confirm to your servants your promise that you may be feared and turn away the reproach that we dread for your rules are good. Behold, we long for your precepts and in your righteousness, give us life. Oh God, this is our prayer. This is our desire. We want to know you more. We want to become more like you. And we see that part of that great mystery, part of that process that you have given us is to meet with you in your word. So God, I pray that you would stir up a hunger within us, a desire to meet with you. I pray that you would help us to establish the disciplines necessary to carve out time within our lives for you. That we wouldn't have expectations of you that are not met with the expectations that you have of us. God, we want to know you more. We want to be transformed more and more into your likeness. That you would be well represented by us out in this community, within this region. That people that encounter us would be encountering you. And that they would have a hunger for you. That there would be something different within us because we are experiencing the transformation that comes as a fruit of your word dwelling within us, Jesus. That many, many, many would come to you because of all that you have done within us. We commit ourselves towards that end. Work in us, God.